1: It's Friday. Y'all know what that means. It is Friday free for all. We are going to answer all of your Notre Dame team recruiting questions. We're going to We would love to talk some college football as the season's right around the corner. We want we do have some questions about that. And so this is going to be a fun day. I have a feeling we're going to talk about one particular subject one time. <laughs> and then we don't need 87,000 questions about it uh we appreciate all the questions but when we are just going to do this one first guys so obviously we know what everybody's talking about what everybody wants to know about eric o'brien with a super chat about it thank you eric for the super chat but he said how worried should we be about keon's visit to alabama we have a, a an intel piece on this yet yesterday on irish breakdown the message board you that's why you should be a premium member essentially it's this guys notre dame was well aware of this visit beforehand Keon has communicated it to Notre Dame. He's been very open and honest with Notre Dame. There are some people around him that just want him to be certain of his decisions, the other places, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is going to lead him to visit some of the schools he's interested in. I expect him, obviously, he's going to be visiting Alabama uh, today. There's people reporting it's a three-day visit. That's a little misleading. That's kind of like saying an unofficial is a three-day thing. It's really you get in, drive up Friday afternoon evening you're there then you have the next day and then you kind of get up the next morning and drive back so that's kind of what the three-day visit looks like Notre, Notre Dame sources that I have and sources around Keon that know Keon they all seem to be very confident that when it's all sudden he's going to end up at Notre Dame but at the same time I think it would be uh, a bit I mean if I'm going to sit here and tell everybody Ryan that that no no nothing to worry about nothing at all for a kid to visit Ala- an edge rusher to visit Alabama uh, no, nothing to see here. I think that would also be j- as, as misguided as, as the sky is falling and, and, oh, he's gone and all this stuff. Those are two extremes that I would encourage people to not take hold of. I think it's one of those things where feel confident about the position Notre Dame has put themselves in, but also be real, real, you know, look at and say, hey, when Alabama puts their, you know, their. They're targeting on the kid. They've got a great success rate, and we're going to learn a lot about whether or not this coaching staff can keep him. But yes, it, are we concerned about it to the degree that if they weren't a player at all, you wouldn't visit? Sure. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of where things are. So, uh, Notre Dame feels good about where they stand with him. People around Keon, people that know Keon feel that at the end, he's definitely Notre, all Notre Dame. However, uh, you know, he, he is taking the trip. And, and, Anytime a kid goes to Alabama, Ryan, you'd be foolish to just completely dismiss it as no big deal, in my opinion.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. you got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best-tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you and trade's human powered algorithm. will find it trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off.
2: No, I agree with you. I think that, I mean, it's definitely something worth talking about. There's no doubt about it, right? I mean, you have a committed kid that's going to what has been at times a dynasty under Nick Saban, right? So sure. it, it is, it is a it's a it's a fact that we have to deal with. There's no doubt about it. My biggest pushback is that, I mean, one, our intel is our intel, right? Like Mm -hmm. that we think that, that Keon Kelly is very solid in Notre Dame. The other part of it is, is that this is not the first time we're talking about this, right? right? Like we've talked about this with Alabama before we talked about this with the university of Florida before, right? Ohio state, Ohio state. We are going to keep talking about it. The point, the point blank to this is, is that Keon Kelly is a legit five-star top 10 player in this year's class. Mm -hmm. And until he signs on the dotted line, People are going to keep coming after him. okay. and the one thing I also want to say is that there is a lot of people and I've seen it on the message board, on Twitter, all over the place that are saying like, oh, well, he's obviously not locked in because he's taken this visit. I am going to put say this. This young man is a 17 year old kid that has other people around him. Right. He doesn't make Mm -hmm. every single decision for himself. There is some influence to the support system. That right. is around him. So let's not paint him as that. The, oh, he does. He doesn't believe in Notre Dame. He's not locked in a Notre Dame. Right. That doesn't have to be true. So right. let's just
1: let's chill. Let's right. Chill. We could we could say yeah he's not locked in from the standpoint of he's taking visits. But at the same time, look, it, I guess my my frustration is is do I want every kid that's committed Notre Dame to stay committed? Yeah, but it doesn't make him a bad kid. Or because sure. otherwise, is Nos Austin awesome Nova A bad kid.
3: Right, because he's committed right. to Baylor right now and right. taking visits.
1: Yeah, Notre Dame's flipped kids mm. before, right? right. This is part of the right. look. The reality is, this is big boy football, right? right Notre uh. Dame fans have been begging for years. We've got to get more five stars. Got to get more. This, top is, players. What well, this is, is what happens. This is what happens. Comes in right? the territory. And if you're a 17 year old mm. kid who's an elite football player and Alabama, and you're from Florida, the South, and Alabama likes you, you you know, look if you're if you're, it's kind of like this. If if you if the best academic institution in the country once is ha- is interested in you for your chosen field, you'd be foolish to not at least give them some consideration, right? And that's what this is. Now I believe that that the main influence influencers around Keon from everything we know are pro Notre Dame. Sure. And and so I think that bodes well for him. I think Keon is pro Notre Dame, but I also think there's people around him that say, hey, look, I just want to make sure that this decision is being made with all the data and all the facts sure. and all those type of things. So end of the day, uh, should people be concerned about it? Yeah. Anytime Alabama pushes for a kid, there's there's cause for concern. But this isn't a situation where it's just a matter of time and the sky is falling and all that other kind of stuff. I would encourage you not to do that. Uh, I don't anticipate Keon coming out of this visit, flipping his commitment. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. I don't think he's going to come out of his commitment and say, I'm all Notre Dame. Right? I just think people were going to be along for the ride. Okay, yep. And Alabama's not going to stop. If Keon Keeley said the day after his visit, I am all 100% Notre Dame, that's not going to stop Alabama from calling. And if he stops answering, that's going to stop Alabama from sending coaches to a school. That's – that they didn't get to this point where they've got like six titles in the last 13 years by just being like, Oh, okay. You're not interested right now. All right, we'll move on. <laughs> right. So that's what happens in big boy football. So Notre yep. Dame has to stay on top of it. There can be no period between now and signing day that Notre Dame doesn't treat him like base. I mean, they have to treat him like an uncommitted player. Right. Sure, I mean, sure. that's that I'm not saying he is, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is though when a kid commits, there's always going to be a change in your contact. Right, that's that's just that's what I'm more referring to. That can't happen with Keon from now until signing day. They need to talk to him and engage with him like he's a kid that they still have to convince. Because to a degree, they they still do, you sure. know, to a degree. Because he, there are other schools that are going to keep calling and keep coming and yep. keep chasing. Because yep. all the way until they find, yes, honestly, I mean, sir, it, I would argue he's the best prospect in in, in high school right now in my and you opinion have, and I, you would have an argument if you want to right think and, and I know there's the quarterback look to me there's no more dominant high ceiling player in the country right now than Keon Keely, in my opinion and he's got the proven production to to show it
3: mm-hmm.
1: so people aren't just going to back off that kid they're just, right. they're just not right. Just, just like George is going to keep trying to talk to Arch Manning and, and all these other type of things. Right. That's just the reality of it. Just like Notre Dame's still trying to flip kids that are committed to other schools. Right. right. Yeah. You know, you, you, you think Notre Dame stopped calling Jason Moore just because he's committed to Ohio state? Not a uh, no. Not a <laughs> right. So that's the reality of it. I'll I'll say this too, is that there's
2: a lot of schools to get a little territorial with this type of stuff. Right. Sure. So Keon Kelly's out of the state of Florida. Do you think that for one, Alabama, Florida, they all want Keon Keeley because he's a fantastic football player. But also, let's not be let's not be near-sighted to think that like wow, Notre Dame came down and got a kid right out of her backyard and that doesn't piss them off a little bit. Like let's be honest well, about it. And that, not just man. piss There's... them
1: off, concern them. Sure. Sure. I mean, we've talked about this before. The last thing that these schools in the south want is for kids in the south to realize they can go to Notre Dame and get the education which everybody knows about, but also play at elite football and and, right. and be high draft picks. Right. The last thing that they want is for a kid like Keon Keely to go to Notre Dame and be a top five draft pick. Yep. That would be really bad news for them because now all of a sudden Notre Dame is going to go into this thing saying, "Hey, like Marcus is, Freeman has said this, right? Look, we need to show kids that we can play. You can come here to play championship and elite level. We can get you the NFL and you can get a great education. Right, right now, Notre Dame is only doing really." One of those at a truly elite level, they're trending in the right direction in the other two, but they're not able to compete with the Bama's and the Georges and the Ohio State's yet when it comes to championships, because they don't have one since 88, and producing the high, high-level draft picks. Why do you think Harry Heastan is recruiting has recruited so well over the years? Is it just because of his force of personality or his reputation amongst O-line people? He's the best coach? No, because the results are, you go play for him, you're going to be a tie draft pick. Right. I mean, sure. Ryan, how many offensive linemen have you talked to that said that? Like uh, almost everyone every, every that's one, any good? Everyone. Right. Yeah. So that stuff matters. And so at the end of the day, these things won't change until you get to the point where you can be on the same footing as Alabama when it comes to selling those three things. And so Notre Dame has to find a unique pitch with Keon. Hey, go there and be the next so and so, or come here and be the first Keon Kelly. Mm -hmm. Right. That that's going to be that's going to be the reality. But help us accomplish something that's going to make you a legend as opposed to just being the next guy in line to win championship number eight at Alabama or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So I think that would be the pitch. And hopefully it works. You know, we'll see. But look, guys, I would just encourage you all. I don't have a problem asking questions about Keon. He's he's a star. Of course, we're going to talk about Keon. Right. Uh, But I would just say, try not to get on the emotional roller coaster with this one. Same thing (laughs) with Peyton Bowen because um, nothing there's nothing we can do about it, right? And and we'll exactly. give you in if there's intel to give, I promise you we'll we'll give it and we'll do our due diligence to find it. We're not gonna blow smoke and say, Oh, don't worry about it, don't sweat it. That that's not what we're doing for him or Peyton Bowen. But we also are gonna tell you, look, here's here's the reality. Cause if we really think a kid's gonna flip, i t I'll tell you. I mean, just go back last summer and listen to what I said about Amorian Walker every single time his name came up. I'm like, I don't think this kid signed with another name right? Because we knew the circumstances. So that's where I'm at with this one. So hopefully that addresses the Keon Keeley stuff. And I know there's a lot of questions about it and I didn't want to just dismiss it, Ryan, and be like, Hey, we're not going to talk about it. You know, I had said that in the chat. I was like, you know what? We need to talk about it. Right. Cause I, I I just, it's going to be addressed and and people want to hear about it. So I I do want to, I did want to give that the due diligence. And that's why we chose to, to start things off with it and, and talk about it and address it. And hopefully that, uh, Sort of satisfies everyone's appetites for those questions.
2: And and if it hasn't, you can go to com. There's there a long go. thread on Keanu. Oh, Keon. yes. Yeah. And, and exactly. we've both
1: interacted in it. Some of us have been a bit, a little bit pithy with it. I don't, I don't want to point fingers at anybody or anything like that. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll try to give honest feedback about it and let you know how we feel. And if there comes a point in time where we're, 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 we'll get concerned, just like we did on the board with Dante Moore, we'll let you know. Sure. Right. And we'll, we'll let you know for sure. So let's move on to some other questions, guys. So now that we have hey. the, the Keon stuff out of the way, a couple interesting questions here at the beginning before we get to a really interesting college football topic. Ooh. I'm very curious to hear your guys' a question on. Peter, this is uh, – sometimes some of y'all's names are re- really great. Wait, what's the avatar? Uh, Peter, oh, P- Peter. Peter Pumpkin it. Eater. Uh, avi- says, avi- ha- yeah, that's good stuff. I yeah. Go ahead. Happy Friday, Brian. I think the SI rankings are excellent, but can I ask, why are they not in the composite? Uh, you can ask that all you want, but that's not really a decision that we have anything to do with. So, uh, I mean, that's just determined by those other sites. I would imagine, if I had to guess, that part of it is, is because SI All-American only does an SI-99. They don't do like a full top 200 or 250, 250 or 300, yeah. which makes it a little bit more challenging to include in a in mm-hmm. a a com- compositor consensus because there's so much fewer kids that are ranked than other guys. Yeah. Uh, SL American also avoids some of the, the other stuff, the fluffy stuff, like, you know, star rankings and all that other kind of stuff, which can tend to add points to a, to a thing or whatever the case may be. And honestly, uh, I can say with great authority that the SIL American people don't care, uh, whether they are or are not involved in any kind of consensus or composite, their, their focus is just on putting out their rankings and being as accurate as they can. Uh, no fluff, no fluff involved. No, none of that stuff. Just, Hey, here's what we think, right or wrong. Here's what we think. So I I think that's kind of where they are. All right, let's get some questions for you guys down here. i will start off with you guys. So Ryan, we'll start, uh, we'll start with you Ryan on this next one we'll go to Mm events and then I'll kind of share my opinion on it. So John A1 asks, who are your top five players entering the 2020 season in college football? So this isn't just a Notre Dame related question, guys. This is Mm -hmm. sort of a, top five players in college football heading into the 2022 season, in your opinion. All right. I'm going to be
2: very forthcoming that my list is going to have some NFL draft implications in it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Shocker. I know. It's what I know, man. (laughs) It's what I know. No order. Will Anderson, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Jalen Carter, Michael Mayer. No order. Okay.
1: (laughs) So you said you had three non-quarterbacks, right? That's Jalen Carter, is. Will Anderson, Michael Mayer, and yep. then Bryce Stroud and CJ Str- Bryce Price Young and CJ Stroud.
2: But Bryce Stroud sounds like a good football
1: yeah, player, though. I'm just kind of throw that into one. Like we we'll get the two quarterbacks because they're always going to be in some sort of list. Ryan, I think the only the only one I would maybe co- contemplate switching out is is I would consider Bijan Robinson in That's there one. instead yeah. of Michael Mayer uh That's it would be debatable I sure I was actually surprised one of you guys said Michael Mayer because I had thought about it but I was like well let's see let's see if they do I'm not sure if I'm ready to go I think he's top 10 for sure you know but but I, I would probably I mean the two quarterbacks I'm with you on Jalen Carter's an absolute monster I mean I thought he was the best D lineman Georgia had last year and they had like what two first round picks on their D line last year Three first-round picks on their D-line last year. That's right, because I keep forgetting Travon Walker and Dev- I keep forgetting about Devontae Wyatt. That's the one I yes. keep forgetting about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so and, and I thought he was their best player last year. You know, there's some corners. You know, the people throughout. You know, you know, Ricks is a guy though. I'm not. I'm not really a high on the the Ricks train in that regard. It's, I think he's still a lot of hype. You know, as, as far as the consistently proven substance I you know there's a lot of really good receivers I'm not sure if I would put any of them in this conversation I don't think any more like maybe. star stars I think a lot Swift of them are stats Jickle, guys. maybe maybe or, maybe yeah. he's got to show me he can be the guy though that's sure. the one thing you know where like look he was a tremendous player last year but mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to be that guy when you've got you know Garrett Wilson on one side and of you and then you've got Chris Olave on the other side of you So we'll see this year if he can be that guy. Now, of course, the one game he played in last year that either one of those two guys, he had over 300 yards receiving. My asterisk on that, as phenomenal as that was, is he was being checked by a lot of dudes that weren't that good because of all the injuries that they had in the secondary last year. It's not like he was out there torching Clark Phillips every other play. No, you now they they st- they stopped throwing at Clark Phillips. Right. Like, all right we're we're good. Right. Let's pick on the anymore. the backup running back who's now who just scored a touchdown who's also now playing defense. Let's go Cl- after that Clark-
2: guy. Clark had an interception forced the
1: fumble they're like we're right. good. Yeah, we're not we going to throw at that, that anymore. guy anymore. <laughs> So that's that. That would be it, Vince. What's your five? And then I'm curious if you guys well, kind of have some other guys whose names kind of pop in your in your heads as you look at this kind of. Thing.
3: So you guys covered. I, I wrote down, you know, four or five guys. You guys covered all of them except for Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think that kid. Mm-hmm. I think that kid's a stud. Everybody's bringing him up over here in the chat as well mm-hmm. for good reason. I mean, this kid's arguably the best wide receiver in the country, and I. I think I'm a little bit biased because we also get to see him in person on September 3rd. And I'm really excited about that. So, you know, diving into Ohio state and things like that, like he excites me. Like I am excited to see what he can do versus Notre Dame. So uh, he would be the only one I would add to the guys that you guys were already talking about.
1: For me, he's a top 10 player. Again, I just, I have to see him prove that he can be the guy. Do I think he will? Yeah. That's why I have him in the top 10. But when I, when I think of Will Anderson, when I think of Jalen Carter, when I think of Michael Mayer, I'm talking about guys that can just physically take over a football game. Mm-hmm. And and Jackson Smith and Jigba, as primarily a slot last year, is not a guy that I look at and say, is he going to go into you know a playoff game like Devontae Smith did and take over ball games? That remains to be seen to a degree for me. Uh, but it, again, it's more of a nitpicking elite players in order to figure right. out who's truly the cream sure. of the crop. It's not yeah. a... Oh, he's not that good. He's not going to have big numbers this year. No, he's a stud. I personally, I think he's. I, I I would make the case he is the best receiver in college football. I Ryan, I think you and I are on the same page. Jordan Addison's a, a pretty good player. I think Jordan Addison's mm-hmm. incredibly overrated in regard to people looking at him as like a top ten player. He was not the best receiver in college football last year. I know mm-hmm. he won the Belichick Award, but that doesn't mean, in my opinion, you're the best player in you know the best receiver in college football. It's that's who they pick, but. Uh, any other guys that kind of jump out at you as like, like the Rick's kid from Alabama will get a lot of talk. I think Keely Ringo is a better player than he is. Like, I, I, I just, just my opinion, as far as we're talking about cornerbacks, he's much more talented. If
2: I had to throw out a couple more guys, miles Murphy from Clemson would probably be maybe in somewhere in the top 10. He's a fantastic defensive Mm -hmm. end. I really like Antonio Johnson, the safety from Texas A&M that kid was a stud last year. He was such a good football player. And then I, this is kind of an off the wall pick because it's not a power five guy, but I think Andre Carter from Army deserves a little. High I was going to ask you about 15 him, 15 sacks or something. Yeah. Man. Yet Brian, he's like a verified like six, six and a half, yeah. 150 pounds. Like they don't come to Army very often. Man. Yeah, like, you're not going to have. I dude. don't want
1: that guy in combat because it's like, uh, how do you hide that guy behind him? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> he was a. You put him behind a zero. A
2: jet. <laughs> he was a zero star recruit somehow.
1: Oh, I don't then know he's, how. Then he's I, no I good. must
2: be a. He must be a. he must be a late bloomer, I guess. But yeah.
1: He can't be good then if he if he's not. Right. Star. He doesn't have any stars. Yeah. <laughs> he had a sack against Wisconsin last year. Had a sack in the bowl game against Missouri. Um, you know, so he, he here's the crazy thing. He had one sack the year before. One sack. I know. Good I year. Know. Like, talk about breaking – just kind of breaking out, and out of nowhere. Two tackles for loss against both of those teams. So, I always like – when those kids – I always like looking at how they perform against the better teams on their schedule or against Power 5 teams. Yep. And he's performed pretty well in those games, no doubt He's about a good it. player, man. Good player. Yeah. Michael Mayer, I think, is the one – I think – I think that like Clemson has two guys that I think, if healthy, can be on there. Miles Murphy, Brian Breezy is another guy that I think deserves. You know, when he's healthy and on, he's one of the three or four best defensive linemen in college football, in my opinion. It, the, the problem is I can't put him in this conversation yet. He's like a player-to-watch type of discussion because he hasn't proven to me he can stay healthy and, and, and dominate for a full season. Uh, sure. I just hope that it's if he dominates this year, that's 11 out of 12 regular season games, not the November, November 5th game in South Bend. He's <laughs> a guy I- – yeah. yeah, but I'll say I'll say this, Bri, like his flashes like he hasn't put it all
2: together yet, obviously, because of injuries. And, you know, mm-hmm. just I didn't lo- I don't love I didn't I didn't love how Brett Venables used him in that defense, too, yeah. to be very honest with you. But his flashes are up there with Jalen Carter. Yeah. Like he's got special traits as a player. He just hasn't
1: obviously tangibly done it yep. enough right now. A guy that's on my radar as a breakout who's not in that discussion now, who I think could jump in now. I think Xavier Worthy is going to be a star. I absolutely love that kid, and, and between him and Bijan, they are going to complement each other really well. You know, you can't take them both out of the game. If yeah. Texas can get some other guys to step up and provide some support, I think I think Xavier. I mean, because he had look at his numbers now: sixty-two catches for nine hundred eighty-one yards and twelve touchdowns as a true freshman, with Casey Thompson and Hunter Card throwing him passes. Now, I think Quinn Ewers is overrated and people oh, number one quarterback of all time. He nonsense, but he's not a bum either. He's got talent, he's got sure. a much bigger arm than some of those guys. And the one thing is I felt at times they struggled to get him the ball vertically against some of the better defenses because the quarterbacks couldn't get it to him. That's not gonna for all the things we could criticize and nitpick Quinn Ewers about, getting the ball down the field is not gonna be a problem. So, I have a fit. I would not be shocked if Xavier Worthy is the player who's contending for the best receiver conversation with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Because I think right now he's the clear number one to me. I, I don't think he's arguably the best receiver in college football. I think he is the best receiver in college football. Uh, I'm just. I'm just not, I, I, there's a lot of other good players. I'm just not quite as high on like the Jordan Addison's. I, I think I love Josh Downs. I would honestly, I'm, I'm, I would be more I would have more nightmares and headaches trying to defend Josh Downs than I would Jordan Addison in my opinion as Agreed. just an individual player. Now, yeah. Jordan Addison is going to have better players around him than George, Josh Downs will, but that's kind of my stance. But Javier Worthy is a guy that's sort of on my he let's keep an eye out on that guy uh be, you know as far as someone who could break out. Any, I mean, there's really no linebackers that I look at and say that they're possibly the, um, the only
2: one that popped in my head, and he's more of a wait and see kind of guy because he did have a lot of production last year, but now he's going to be the the guy is Trenton Simpson from Clemson. Yeah, he's a really talented player, and really he's going
1: to have player. some dudes in front of him. I mean, sure we is. talked about the two other guys, but I mean, you know, Tyler Davis was a guy we were thinking was going to be that star a couple years ago, and he's still a good player. He just it's kind of overshadowed by even better players. So mm-hmm. Trent Simpson is going to be unblocked a lot this year. And he right? can run, yes. sir. Yes. How about no a,
2: you and Noah Soul fan? Noah Soul might put up some numbers.
1: I, we'll see. I want to see how he's going to look without some of the guys in front of him that he had last year and also with the new defense. Sure. I'm very curious how he's going to adjust the new defense. I think he's a good player. I, just, I get real nervous about Pac-12 defensive players, to be honest with you, just because I feel like line play in the Pac-12 has been pretty bad. In recent Mm -hmm. seasons so it's kind of like let me see how he does against so and so you know this team you know that that's not a pac 12 team so he's he's in my conversation for top seven to eight linebackers like the kid from alabama but none of those kids to me like trenton simpson's the only guy to me that has just the dynamic all-around athleticism production and all that to maybe be in that conversation i think there's like one other kid i'm trying to uh, there's an sec kid trivia
2: trivia question yeah. yeah trivia question who led college football in total tackles last year?
1: Oh, I don't know. FBS. I'm not sure.
2: You have nothing? No. Vince, uh-uh. you got something for me?
1: Uh, no. Big, Jack
2: Big Campbell in Does Iowa? Jack Campbell from Iowa. Okay. That's it. That's it. 143 tackles
1: last yeah. year, man.
3: Yeesh. He was balling. That's some yeah. generous uh, statistical uh Yeah. Dude reporting.
1: had uh, six fewer solo tackles than J.D. Bertrand. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot of assists. Oh, well. 86 a ra- assisted tackles. That's some yeah. Tiki type. The football. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Football. yeah. yeah jumping on top of that pile at the end. Oh, assist, right there, I, assist.
3: I, I kept I it, stats, I to, stats I for my team. Okay, assists <laughs> are uh, very
1: circumstantial, <laughs> man. I'll tell you that. I, I, like I,
2: I was the linebacker in the meetings <laughs> that was like, we're watching video, and I was like, that, that's another tackle. <laughs> <laughs> my my, my man had
1: three and a half tackles for loss and one sack. He was a he was a dog pile of sis guy as well last year. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> he's phil parker's guy man you don't know generous about. assist baby yeah yeah <laughs> yeah all right let's get to some more questions here that was a great one john i, I love talking college football tommy guns 44 hey that's going to be a great topic for us to kind of take out and put onto the new college football mm. hcfb nation channel i just thought mm. about that If you haven't subscribed to that you got to do it Tommy Guns asked, what kind of growth do you think you'll expect to see between the two fall camp practices that you'll get to see all of? So he's not talking about the first and second practices, Vince. I think he's referring to sort of the two open practices, the yeah. full, like the full, full practices. Right. So the first so, one we
3: get is the first practice, mm-hmm. like literally the first practice where they mm-hmm. will only be wearing helmets, um, and that's it. So <laughs> it's, it's going to be more of a X's and O's running around. We'll get mm-hmm. to see – you know kind of what guys look like coming off a summer in person for the first time like that kind of stuff and then the next one we get to see i think it's like practice 10 does that sound about right? around
1: there yeah yeah
3: so it'll be about halfway through i think
1: it's like the 19th mm. or something like
3: that yeah right? it'll be about halfway through it'll be full padded practice i would imagine we'll get to see them scrimmage usually that's the one where they bring in referees and you get to kind of see a, like a controlled scrimmage type of situation so they're almost completely different practices so i do want to yeah preface my comments with that because we're going to be seeing completely different things because you and i both know brian seeing a guy running around with just a helmet on is a lot different than seeing guys run around full padded i mean it it just is (laughs) i've been really impressed with guys with a helmet and then they put on the full pad you're like oh he's not who i thought he was you know what i Mm -hmm. mean i'm not saying that that's going to be that for notre dame um but but those are things that you have to take into account right so We're talking growth from the first full practice to the second full practice. I want to see the speed of, for example, Tobias Merriweather. And what I mean by that is speed of recognition. You know, in in his first practice, what's he going to look like? It's his first practice, not in a high school uniform. You know, what does that look like? Him running around, is he keeping up with everybody? And then when you get halfway through, okay, now what does he look like now that he's had half the practices under his belt? Is he starting to fit in? Is he starting to look like the rest of the team kind of a situation? And you could say that for all of the incoming freshmen, not the ones that were here in the spring, but the ones that came in in the summertime. You could say that for all of those guys. Uh, so that's one thing I'll be looking for. I'll toss it back to you, Brian. What what else are you looking for from 1 to 10?
1: Physicality. So yeah. are you talking about growth? like mm-hmm. so. So aside from growth, the one thing I want to see is, is the energy still there, right? Like that's the thing you kind of get nervous about in the middle of fall camp when you got a team that that really plays with passion and loves Good playing call. football.
3: Good call. Middle
1: of season is the hard time to be fired up and passionate. Middle, middle of camp, camp is the yeah. hard time to be that. You know, right. obviously, you want to see. You know, for me, it's gonna it's it, the the growth. What kind of growth do you think? It's like okay, middle of fall camp, Tyler Buckner should start to look more comfortable leading the offense, directing things. You start seeing more of that. Uh, we should start to see, you know, the secondary receiver battle should be interesting. I've always felt that early in fall camp, if your defense isn't ahead of your offense, that's concerning.
3: That's a problem. That's a huge problem. Y- usually, yeah. usually. Because excep- t- offense is about timing. <clears throat> defense is about athleticism and
1: running around being around And, and knowing what your job is. Right? Yeah, right. And the other part of it is the exception, however, Vince, is when you have a part of your team that's elite like we thought the defense of front 7 was going to stink in 2017 because they were getting dominated right. from jump to end and we thought well it's just and then we found out no the D line was pretty good it's just the offensive line was truly elite right and so to me when i when i look at that it, it, you know that's an exception but the other exception Vince is or you know you, you the, the reason um hold on a second The reason that you have to look at it is those are exceptions. Last year, it was, okay, is the D line just that good or is the offensive line that bad? When you kind of realize it's a little bit of both. Yeah, true. And I think part of the reason the defensive line struggled a little bit early in the season, first couple games to stop the running game, is because of how bad what they were going against was in practice. Right. And, And so they weren't used to the physicality. You know, because Florida State, Ryan and I talked about this the other day. Florida State doesn't have a super talented defense offensive line, but they had a try hard and they had a big offensive line. You know, good size offensive line, sure, like big, good size offensive line, and that created some problems where they were just dominating the Notre Dame offensive line. Well, then we realized that the Notre Dame offensive line just stinks. So, you start getting a little bit, and that's more common than twenty seventeen. If we're going to be honest, sure. So you hope that that you know. That that you're not in a situation where the offense is dominating the defense early. You want to always see a little back and forth. But of fall Camp is usually when the offense should start controlling the action. And the reason I say mm-hmm. that is, is the defense only can throw so much at the offense before the offense kind of knows what coverages that you're going to see. You know, it's going to be ten practices in. They know what coverages are coming. They know the blitzes that are coming. That is when, if your offense is going to be good, that is when the offense starts to really kind of take hold. And be kind of and start to to dominate the action. So, if this is team is going to progress the way you hope a team progresses and a great team progresses in fall camp, defense should really look good early. Yeah. Offense no. should start kind of taking hold of the middle. And then by the end of fall camp, you're saying, like, hey, look, I think this team is going to be pretty
3: good. Should be even, should be, you know, right. elite play on back both and forth day to day. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of,
1: it's yep. kind of, or maybe even period, you know, <clears throat> defense dominates sure. seven on seven, offense maybe gets the best of them in team, things like that. So, those are the things you want to see, and the other thing that you talk about growth, Tommy, is the individual growth by by that practice. If like is does is that should be around the time Lorenzo Stiles starts asserting himself as the guy, a receiver. Sure. If that's going to happen good early point. in the season, good point. You know that's the time when Maris Luafau really says, like, hey, I've got this group. Not ne- not just from a production standpoint, but from a an emotion and energy. You start to see who the players are feeding off of by practice ten, practice one. Everybody's fired up. By practice ten, it's like okay, I don't really feel like being here today. I'm Every college football player in America, midway through fall camp, is like, I don't really know if I love football this enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I mean. Like a month, because like it's a month, it, like, it's it a month and of it's not as bad practice. as it used to be when there was two days and stuff. Where you're sure, just like you really are testing your will. But it's it's still a grind, especially for younger players. But you really start to see who your who your leaders are and how people respond to them. Yeah, you know, because when you have those days where it's like. Look, every team goes, Bama's going to go through it. Georgia's going to go through sure. it. Ohio State's going to go through it. That day, we're just like, as a team, a lot of dudes are just like not, it's not that they don't want to be there. That's hyperbolic. But it's just like, I got nothing, man. I'm tapped yeah. out. I'm, I'm I'm, tired. I'm sore. I'm this. I'm that. You know, because all summer, we're running around. and We're catching balls. And we're, you know, at, but there's yeah, no right. hitting. You know, now you're six, <clears> seven days of grueling. just nonstop hitting. And you're just like, and then. Who, who are the leaders that fight, get them through those tough periods? Sure. That's, to me, one of the biggest things of growth that I want to see by middle of fall camp, which is about where that practice will be.
3: And and position battles, I think, are going to become a little bit more clear by the time we get to the middle of camp, right? I mean, you, you there, there's always going to be a battle. You always want you know the guy in, in the, who's number two or number three or whatever to push the guy that's ahead of them. You always want that throughout the season. But I think once you get halfway through fall camp, those battles start to shake out a little bit and we're going to have I think some answers to who is winning certain battles by the time we get to the second full practice you're going to see who's getting the majority of the reps who's going out with the twos now there there are times and you can attest to this as a college coach where you put the number two guy as the number one guy just to see how he does that day right and coaches in the past have done that when the media is there just to f with people i mean well, they, especially they do when there's a
1: quarterback battle hey he's gonna be here let's make sure that so number two is getting those snaps. Yeah.
3: yeah so i mean there is that and you have to sift through that a little bit but i think we're gonna see some of those position battles shake out a little bit more once we get to the second full practice as opposed to the first full practice
1: yeah i, I want to point to that too vince there i hope that there's a day where we come to practice and drew pine lines up at number one sure you have to get your number two quarterback some snaps with the number ones absolutely so have to absolutely have to and fall camp's the best Early middle of fall camp is the best time to do that because what you don't want to do is give your starter 60 to 65 percent of the snaps from day one on, right. otherwise, he's going to get dead-armed by the middle of fall camp. I hope right? it's not he's the day just, we have
3: full practice access, but right, I'll tell you I mean, that. that, that's fine, I, I, you know, because the
1: other guy's still going to get snaps, he's just right, going to get snap. Sometimes that's good, like, oh, Tyler went and worked with the twos today and, and he, he was leading him down, mm. down the field. I mean, that's a, something you learn from a guy, sure, because it's not just about getting your number one you know, or your number two, number one reps. It's also about seeing how your number one handles when well, he's not surrounded by the dudes. He doesn't have mayor to throw to, he doesn't have Tyree to hand off to, or, right, right. or Lorenzo to rely on. So I think those type of things are always part of what you want to do, but you've got to get your number two some, Yeah. Some snaps. I agree with that. A, a, an individual player that I want to see growth from is I want to see how drew pine responds to last spring. Because I think Drew was pressing a lot because he was trying to win the starting job. I want to see if he can just do just calm down and relax, go to you, and then let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, stop pressing. You know, and and And, he's
3: a competitive dude. I I expect the best from him. I do. Um, I I think that you know he's gotten a lot of uh, you know bad publicity, and I'm not saying it's just the media or whatever. He didn't play well. He knows it. And he'd be the first one to tell you that he didn't play well, right? Mm-hmm. Now's an opportunity he's had all summer to kind of get back, be him. I want to see the Drew Pine that I've seen at other practices, right? You know, the, 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 the rah-rah guy, but also see that in his play as well. I want him to push Tyler Buckner, right? I want him to push him. I want him to be like, hey, if you can't handle it, man, bro. I'm right here. I got this, you know, and we've said it in the past. Drew Pine can win you a lot of football games. No question about it. So he has to push Tyler Buckner. He has to, in order for Tyler Buckner to reach what we think he can reach this year. So, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think Drew, I hope to see a rejuvenated Drew, and I hope to see the Drew that we've seen in the past at practice as well. The the swaggy Drew that we saw against Wisconsin. He didn't play a perfect game, but he had some mm-hmm. swag about him, right? That's what I want to see from Drew.
1: And he could get himself out of a funk in that game. Right. Which he didn't do in the spring. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not talking about the spring game because I, I that was that was just a not it was not a normal game situation. He's leading one team on play a drive and he has teams. to sprint down to the offensive so coordinator, hard. get the new play, lead the other team on a yeah, drive. That's so. I'm hard. not even talking about the spring game. I, the issues that I had with Drew in the spring were just things I was hearing all spring, things you guys saw all spring. You know, the turnovers were higher, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so those are those are things that we'll see. So so good good question so far. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Here's here's one. John A one says, which cornerback tandem was the best at Notre Dame post Lou Holtz? 2018, and that would be uh, Julian Love and Troy Pride. 2010, which is an interesting because it wasn't really a, a it wasn't a duo. It was you had Darren Walls, you had Gary Gray, and you had Robert Blanton. It was more of a trio of guys. And then you had 2002, which was Vontez Duff and Shane Walton. So post Lou Holtz, what was the best cornerback tandem for Notre Dame? I, I, for me, it's kind of easy. I mean i i I think it was twenty eighteen. Love and pride for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was them. Yeah, to me. yeah. I don't, I don't, I
2: don't really remember two thousand two that well. If I'm being completely honest, they were pretty good. It's kind of yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I know, I know yeah. Shane and, and, yeah. and
2: Duff,
3: and yeah. I, I know the names obviously and yeah. the
2: kind of the legacies they have. But... Little young.
3: Little young, little young. Yeah. It was 11. So. I, was, I was watching those games through different eyes because I was in college
1: at the time. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. They were yeah. pretty good players. Mm-hmm. I just, th- I just don't think they were really dynamic athletes. Like, you know, they just weren't super, super dynamic guys. Yeah. But um, I would, I would put them second. I would put Dove and or Duff and Walton second ahead of the 2010. The 2010 group was good. It mm-hmm. wasn't a great unit. Yeah. It was a good unit, but they, they would have some problems against the, elite level of competition they played at times that year, but it was a pretty good group. It was a pretty good group. Super chat from coach bent five, seven, four. Thank you for that very much coach bent. And uh, glad you're feeling a little bit better while you're dealing with COVID starting with the 93 team to present, which player has had the best combined NFL and Notre Dame career. Consider the entire Notre Dame careers of 93 team guys. I mean, that that's, that's kind of easy, don't you guys think? I mean, isn't it Bryant Young? No, oh, that's what I
3: wrote down. Okay. I was yeah. going to say Bryant Young. That's yeah. who I wrote down. I mean,
1: yeah. So let's take what, him what out. Was,
2: who are, what, what, what was Bettis's last year? Was he?
1: 92. Was gone, yeah. 92. So, he does yeah two he four, 92. so he's out. Right. I mean, Bryant, you know, is Bryant Young in the Hall of Fame? He just got elected. Okay. Yeah. To it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's the only one. I mean, so let's take him out. We all agree on By, okay, okay. right? So let's take him out. Who are some other guys? I mean, Quentin Nelson, Quentin Nelson, Bobby Taylor. I thought was a pretty good NFL player. He was post ninety three. Zach Martin's been tremendous. I was. I forgot Harrison Smith. He's been the highest paid guard. I would argue that there's a good chance that Notre Dame has three Hall of Fame NFL ends up with three Hall NFL Hall of Fame. There's a chance that Notre Dame ends up with three Hall of Famers from the Brian Kelly era. Okay, the two offensive linemen and Harrison Smith. It's possible. It's right. Possible. Now, again, safety is that kind of that weird position, like the designated hitter of Animal. Of true. From a but he's, also, he's been he'll the highest wait. paid safety.
3: I don't know if he still yeah. is, but he's, yeah. he's you know. He'll,
2: he'll wait he'll wait a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Zach yeah. Martin, I mean, Zach Martin doesn't have to play another snap and he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. Agreed. So, uh,
1: and absolutely. Quentin Nelson's like three more seasons yeah. of what he's doing now for making a yeah. no brainer Hall of Famer. Right. Unless he's, yeah. yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'm just saying, like, if Quentin retired now, do I think he's a Hall of Famer? No, he doesn't have the.
0: Just a wide court. But he's close.
1: He's, yeah, because he's tree keeping up on like the gale sayers terrell davis type of longevity sure, you know what yeah. i mean it, but it would be different if if his career ended because of an injury and he just or he just yeah. chose but let's be honest quentin nelson's not quitting so it's really kind of a useless, <laughs> kind of a useless point, point yeah. to make you know but they've had some good players like the the late 90s early 2000s didn't produce a ton of mm-hmm. great nfl players like justin tuck was a really good nfl player for a long time sure, yeah uh, you know, Tom Carter was okay. Bobby Taylor was probably the best, but Tom Carter was pre ninety three as well, so that doesn't even count. Uh, Jeff Burris was a decent NFL player for a, for a while. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't in the league of those other guys. Stephon Tuite had very short lived injury-riddled, but when he was playing, he's he was good pretty player. good. Ronnie Stanley, Ronnie Stanley's been good so far. He's been, been so injury-prone. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. But he had, and he's really <sighs> only had like that one great year. You know, he kind of built towards that, and then you know, just the injuries yeah. have kind of kept him down. But he, was, if he can stay healthy; he, was he can insane. be in that conversation.
2: Three years ago, he gave up six pressures the whole season. It was insane. Ronnie Stanley had an inc- six pressures in sixteen games. That's not sacks; Six nuts. pressures in That's sixteen nuts. games. And that, I mean, it's a running offense, but like, still, it's insane. Right Here, here's a question. I think though, Bryant Young. I mean, we were all pretty quick to say Bryant Young, and then a mix of like. So I would say Zach Martin's my second guy after mm-hmm. after um after yeah, I would say he's second after 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 him. How close do you think that gap is, I guess is my question. Do you think Zach's close to a Brian yeah. Young, or do you think there's a yeah. clear gap?
1: I think Zach's close. Yeah. Cause like to me, Zach has been the best guard in the National Football League for at least five or six years. You know, maybe there's a season where this guy had a really good season. And, and the only person that's really challenged in the last couple of years is Quentin, Quentin. Nelson.
3: Yeah, exactly. From everything
1: I've read and everyone that I talk to that follows the NFL. I think I think Harrison Smith is also in that conversation. I mean, Harrison Smith for about a three, four-year period is probably the best safety in the NFL yep. from, from from people I've talked to and things I've read, or he's at least in that conversation. And that, and that's, of it. that's one of the things that you check off as yeah. a Hall of Famer, though. Were you the right. best at your position for any period of time? Right. He has that checked off, in my opinion. Right. Right. A, a guy that I would be ve- would have been very curious about, if not for injuries, is um, uh, Aaron Taylor, because you know he won a Super Bowl. He was started his script pretty good. He just couldn't stay healthy after a while. But he started off as a pretty good player. Remember, he was on that Packers team that beat the beat the Patriots and then lost to the Broncos. He was a starter on that offensive oh, line. Okay. I lost uh, track with, of him when he yeah went to the NFL, before I'll injuries kind of kind of suck in.
2: Here's, a, here's another one. Jeff Fain was a good player in the NFL yes. for a while there, too. he was a little Ooh. short-lived,
3: you yeah. know. But, but he yeah, was the best player. center for a little while. Yeah. I mean, he was.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, so there's injuries have kind of hurt a couple other guys, too. Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's been some guys that I thought, hey, you know, curious how this guy could do. Jalen uh, Smith. Yeah, Jalen <laughs> yeah. Smith is, is one. I think if not for the knee injury, Jalen Smith would have been a phenomenal player. I agree. I agree. You. And there's been solid players. You know, Ray Zeller was okay. Derek Mays was a, a nice, you know, complimentary receiver for a a, a time in his career just looking to some other guys right now that that were uh you know courtney watson didn't do a whole lot julius jones had a couple nice years for the cowboys had a couple thousand yard seasons yeah he did yeah justin tuck we talked about anthony Vasano was a decent nfl player ryan harris is a really good he doesn't get talked about a lot ryan harris is a really good nfl football percent sure
2: two rings two super bowl rings you know who was pretty good? Who was actually better as an NFL player than he really was a college player? Was Ryan Grant was actually good for a yeah. couple years with the Packers? He yeah. was a pretty good player.
1: I would I would argue the same thing about Luke Pedigute. Oh. Now, Ken, he was first round draft picks. He clearly wasn't a bum in college, but I felt he was a little bit better in, in the NFL than he was in college because that that's back when I was actually still still watching the NFL. Luke, Luke was good, man. That was a good yeah. Giants
2: line. He was a good player.
1: Yeah. Golden Tate was a good NFL player, not not special. Uh, John Carlson before the injuries. I'm just kind of looking through over the years. Cal yeah, th- Rudolph's are, been a good tight end. Yes, now, so. very, very solid, steady tight end. Not great, yeah. but I, you look like Vin said you've got to give yourself some, some ability to say, hey, look, this guy was a good period for a, a good player for a period of time. Right, uh, that matters. Yes. As, hey, far as You that have a retirement. resurgence Tyler, right. with the Bucks. You watch, right. Yeah. Right.
2: Tyler Eifert. Was, he didn't get hurt. Well, yeah, because he, he, he was he on was, the
1: verge of, I mean, that one year he was a Pro Bowl player. He had like he had 10 plus touchdowns. touchdowns. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Crazy. Michael yeah. Floyd's another one. If it wasn't for the off the field issues, I think yeah, he was on the yeah. verge of becoming a really good NFL. I mean, he was coming off a thousand yard season in they Arizona. Had, and,
3: they had a great three man punch at wide receiver oh, yeah. down there in Arizona for a little while. Yeah,
1: sure did. So, oh, yeah, Theo Riddick
2: was quietly a good NFL player for a few years. Again, too. before the injuries. Quietly. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So I just, you know, you'd, you'd like to, hopefully in the next 10 years, we're talking about somebody as a quarterback, you know, breaking into that conversation. That nice. A lot, lot of linemen, a lot of linemen in that in tight ends in that conversation. yeah Which leads to another question that I wanted to bring up, guys. I thought there was a question here that I thought was really good. Speaking of kind of this topic of conversation, right? So it's a really easy transition, but just your ordinary Joe. Vince is your guy rocking the IB gear and his avatar there. <sighs> O-line you or tight end you, Man. which moniker is more deserved? It, so let's set the premise, Ryan, okay. of what that means first. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what does it mean to be O-line you or tight end you? Do we believe that it's about dominance in the college level, then leading to, to high draft picks? Like, to me, that's what it means. It's it's yeah. I don't care about what they do in the NFL. It's dominance in, high, in college for a period of time that then leads to producing a lot of Drafted players, especially higher drafted I, players. I fair? like that
2: premise. Yeah, I like that premise. My next question would be Are we talking from a purely historical perspective? Or are we taking this back like 10 years? That's my next well, I mean, question. I think
1: for me, the whole tight end you thing, O line U thing has been a relatively recent adventure, advent, invention. Because so I would say I don't really want to go beyond 15, 20 years for that. I mean, because you're going to mm-hmm. go all time, they start bringing in the Joe Moore era and sure. you know. And, and I don't know if that was really a thing back then. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you and I, uh, if any of us are, are we old enough during that era to really be able to say what other teams were like. We watched Notre Dame when we were kids. Yeah. Sure. You know? Uh, sure. So, and I think I'm the only person that was in double digits in years. The last time Notre Dame won a championship. Right. And Joe Moore was in his prime. So, well, let's just kind of go last say 15, 10, 15 years. First
3: of all, it's easier to be tight end you than it is to be o line you because there's less people involved. I mean, it, there there's five starters on the on the field for the offensive line. There's in theory one, maybe two starters for def- for tight end. So I think it's easier to be tight end you than it is to be o line you. So I want to throw that out there.
2: I I don't disagree with that. I would say though I think it's o line you over tight end you mm-hmm. if I had to say the your one case. is more appropriate. I mean, because the names, right? Like, Mm -hmm. not only were they great college players talking about Ronnie Stanley, Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, Nick Martin, Mike McGlinchey. Like, they're they're names right there. They're also, most of them developed into really good NFL players, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of first-round draft picks I just said as well. And definitely
1: higher draft picks. Yes.
2: A lot of the tight ends, I mean, Notre Dame has had a string of a lot of good, like, really good college tight ends that developed into, like, solid to good tight ends in the NFL right so we're talking about you know guys like Kyle Rudolph and Tyler Eifer before he was injured John Carlson like it's a good list but for me if you're stacking that tight end group against I mean if we're if we're taking it back like 15 years we could talk about the you giving out guys like Jeremy Shockey and uh Kellen Winslow Jr. and that and Jimmy Graham and like that brand of tight end too right so I would say O-line you Notre Dame has a little bit of a gap in my opinion but tight end you I think is a conversation
3: Vince for me what it comes down to if we're just looking at for example college recruiting I, I think they recruit tight ends better than they do offensive linemen if you're looking at a star ranking and you're looking at a ranking situation that that's what I think now I will also say that I think that if you're looking at the entire longevity I'm with Ryan I think the offensive linemen have been more successful in a Uh, NFL draft situation, NFL period, all of that. I think offensive linemen have more of a legacy in the NFL beyond Notre Dame than the tight ends do. And so if I had to pick one, and I was kind of setting you guys up by saying tight end is easier than offensive line, I'm still going Mm O-line you. I still think that the O-line is Notre Dame's calling card right now. Yes, they are fantastic with, with tight end. And this is a great conversation to have because I still think that they're better than most colleges across the country in both, right? But if I have to pick one, it's going to be O-line you because I think they've had more sustained success at offensive line and then beyond in the NFL.
1: I'm going to throw something out there to you. Here's my issue with calling Notre Dame O-line U as more deserved as tight end you, Ryan, your NFL draft comments are very on point, but my only pushback would be, you just see a lot more offensive linemen being drafted in the first round. I mean, Cole Komet was the first tight end drafted in 2020, but he wasn't taken until the second round. Right. You're not gonna see an offensive tackle go and you're not gonna, I don't think you're gonna see a draft where there's a not an offensive tackle or offensive lineman taken in like the, the first, first five round, <laughs> right. or the first, yeah. first round. Yeah. So but but here's here's the bigger pushback for me. Notre Dame was clearly the best offensive line operation from an NFL draft standpoint, and all that during Harry Heistand's tenure. But number one, it took him a couple years to really get the whole thing going because he had to recruit top players. He had some really good players, like on the 2012 line, but then there were some guys that weren't that good. With all due respect to Mike Golick Jr. and Christian Lombard and Braxton Cave, they weren't to the same level as like the the other guys opposite McGlinchey and Nelson and Stanley in 15. Right. Like 2012 had good players. Braxton Cave was a guy that spent some time in the NFL and I think would have had a longer NFL career if not for the injuries he sustained during his Notre Dame career, in my opinion. Right. Well, Mike Joel, Gullick Jr. did a great job in 2012, gave you everything he had, everything Absolutely. he had. But he just no wasn't a super. And I think he would tell you this. He wasn't a super talented player. He's not Alex Bars. Right. Right. And I think that's the difference between, for me, is the the time period where Notre Dame truly dominated offensive line play was a very short window, and then Harry left, and Notre Dame plummeted, in my opinion, three out of those four years, and then they were okay under Ed Warner. So you can mm-hmm. only, I mean, you can only argue Notre Dame was O line you for only like half of Kelly's tenure, right? But that, but that half was so. I dominant. I get that. I yeah. get that. Whereas tight end. I mean, literally every starting tight end Notre Dame has been drafted going back 20 years. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, you, you've had guy after guy after guy, you know, you had Eifert and Rudolph together in 2010 and 11, or excuse me, in 2010, you know, you had Eifert was a, was the best tight end in college football. Michael Mayer, I think it's the tight end, best tight end in college football. And in between you have some good football players, you know, Ben Koyak was a good football player. Um, you know, I think Troy Nicholas had one good season. I thought he was dra- overdrafted a little bit for just one good season. Yep. You know, Alizé Mack, when he was right, was a good player. Derm Smythe was a good player. The p- the, the counter argument is, but you could make a stronger case that at other schools are tight end U over Notre Dame, where if you look at that window Ryan was talking about, there was no discussion about who tight O-line U was. Mm-hmm. Iowa, for the last 10 years, can flat out go toe-to-toe with Notre Dame in regard to pumping out NFL tight ends and productive college tight ends. They haven't always gotten the hype that they deserved in the NFL draft with some of their players, George Kittle, but they're also the only team as far as I know in the last 15, 20 years have two tight ends taken in the first round of the same draft.
3: Yeah. That was impressive.
1: That was the
2: first time that ever happens and just in general. So,
1: I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Right. So I, I, I just think that, that if you're going to go longevity, I lean towards more tight end. But as, as Ryan, as That's, you said, the, 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 the short term brilliance of the Harry Heestand era to me makes that impressive. And now here's the thing he's back. Right. And so I think we're going to see that established again. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting. But I, I think that at the end of the day, they're both well deserved. Mm-hmm. I'd probably lean more towards a line if we're going to keep it a shorter window. If we're going to take it 15, 20 years, it has to be tight end you because if we take it to 15, 20 years, there's a lot of years with some really bad offensive line play sure in there if you know so if we keep a well, kelly was, era it's O line yeah. if we go back 20 it's got to be tight end because like the charlie weiss era after 06 the offensive line play was atrocious right right atrocious. well i was gonna
2: i was gonna say especially even if you want to take it even further back and just do it from a completely historical um sense i would argue tight ends over oh it's no question general because then you're yeah. talking about like mark bavaro or smith Ken mcafee
1: dave casper dave casper there was yeah, there right. was a notre dame team i think that ended up having three first round tight ends on the same roster Right. Right. Like there was one year Oscar McBride who didn't get drafted but played in the NFL was like their fourth tight end. I mean, they had some insane tight end depth in the Lou Holtz era. And yep. hardly any of them caught more than you know, ever caught the 30 passes just because of the type of the offense they had. But yeah, Herb Smith and Derek Brown played together for a couple of years. I mean, and it just yeah, you're you're if you're gonna go back the further you go back all time, all time, like go back like the last 50 years, Ryan, it's a no brainer. It's no name. Yep. I mean, I wrote an article today, actually, at IrishBreakdown.com about how Michael Mayer was named to the watch list for uh, the Walter Camp Award, which goes to the best player in college football. Go to offensive player, defensive player, whatever. The Notre Dame's had four guys win it, which is tied for second behind USC, who's had six. Uh, And their six is sort of an asterisk because one guy won it twice. It's five players have won it six times. OJ won it twice. The first Notre Dame player to win the Walter Camp Award as the best player in college football was Ken McAfee, who was a tight end. Wow. This is back in the '70s. So, and that's whose records Tyler M- Michael Mayer has been shattering the last couple of seasons as well. By the way, uh, and, and you know, with 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 what he's done, so I just thought that was interesting. To your point, Ryan, if we're going to go all time, Mark Bavaro is not considered a top five all time Notre Dame tight end. If that tells you anything about how good tight end play has been in Notre Dame, he was Dame. he was phenomenal with the Giants. He was, phenomenal. He was. yeah, yep. he was. So I mean, and you know, it, it's just, uh, it's it's. I mean, he was pretty good with Notre Dame too. He was a fourth round draft pick. So uh, you know, it's it's um, quite quite the tight end tradition at Notre Dame. There's there's no doubt about that. Great great question so far. Really sparking a lot of good conversation. Here's a really good Vince. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have you start off with this one. So Vince. Will the 2022 season be defined by Coach Reese's quarterback development ability?
3: The word "defined" is a strong word, but I can't disagree with that statement because we've made—I don't want to say excuses—we've we've made arguments for what has gone, what has transpired. Justifications. On yeah, yeah. justification That's with Coach Reese—that's a better, Reese. That's a better right. reason. That's a better word justifications for the quarterback play or development under coach Reese, as he has been the quarterback's coach. Right. And I think they're all justified. I do. I think they're all justified. There's no more excuses at this point. There's, there's no more. Tyler Buckner has been under the tutelage of Tommy Reese. And if Tyler Buckner has not developed, then that's you you have to look at Tommy Reese. You have to. And, you know, I, I think that, This season is going to go a long way to tell us where the development of these quarterbacks are. I I do. Now, I there's a lot of good things that you can point at. I think Jack Cohn's development within the season last year was really, really good. I think you got to give Tommy Reese a lot of credit for that. Right. I I think that playing Tyler Butner last year in the manner in which we talked about in the preseason and what we wanted to see, that happened. I think you got to give Tommy Reese a lot of credit for that not only as the quarterback's coach, but also as the offensive coordinator, right? I think that this year, with Tyler taking over and being the full-time starter and needing him to be a complete quarterback, if he is, you have to give credit to Tommy Reese. You have to. If he's not, then I think you have to question Tommy Reese's ability to develop quarterbacks. I think you do. Right. And so this year, is it's crucial. It's It, it's, it is a defining year. For Tommy Reese, no question about it. And then moving forward, let's say he does it this year, we're all satisfied. Then Tyler needs to take another step next year, and can right. he get him to that next step? So I think it'll be another defining year. So if he passes the, you know, if he passes uh, QB development 101, well, there's a 102 class coming right behind him, and what you're going to have to take and you're going to have to pass that too. So I, I think it's an ongoing debate for Coach Reese, but I think that's a legitimate uh, question going in.
1: Ryan, you got I'm, more to add to that?
3: Yeah, no, I was going to say, I agree with
2: Vince. I think the fine is a little too strong just for the simple fact of just singular on Coach Reese because I think there's a lot of parts of this team that are going to have to get better and get more, I mean, get taken to a higher level. And, I mean, we're talking about also Coach Freeman's first year, right? Like, he's going to kind of define what the 2022 season looks like as far as how he runs a program. I will say this, though, to, to Vince's point, and I agree with it 100%, 2022 is going to define a lot of the perception of Tommy Reese because I think there's mixed feelings on him a little bit, right? Like I think there's a lot of people that can say, I like how he calls a football game, but there's also parts, you know, from the quarterback recruiting side, from the quarterback development side that needs to get answered, right? It needs to get better. So I think the 2022 season can define whether he is – you know, one of the better offensive coat offensive coordinators in college football, or can define whether he's just kind of thought about as kind of a lackluster offensive coordinator. If that makes sense,
1: this is the first time Tommy Reese will be coaching a guy that he re- he chose as a recruit, recruited, signed, and has only been the only person to coach him. So that is something certainly to to keep an eye on, and I think adds more to the whole um, idea of this is the first chance I think we can really truly say this is all on all on you. Right. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. for well,
3: and, and it's very similar to when we talked about coach Quinn last year, right? Remember we talked about the fact that he, this is going to be his defining year because all of these guys are his guys. It's a very similar conversation for coach Reese, I think. Right.
1: It didn't go great for coach Quinn. <laughs> right. No, he did not well, pass that class. I think we would all agree that we think he's a better coach than Jeff Quinn was <laughs> That's there too. All right, here That's we fair. go. Good, good, good questions. So we did have a super chat from Brendan Manning. He says with numbers tight in 2024, do you think the staff should have waited on Wayful? Seems like there's a lot of high end talent on the D line board, Ryan, I'll kick that one to you. It's a great question. I will
2: say this. I push back on the tightness of the class sometimes, Brendan, just for the simple fact that everything could change so quickly with how the game is kind of formatted today with the transfer portal and early, you know, designation to the NFL draft and numbers could change very quickly to your question, though, me and Brian have talked about this on the podcast. So it's not a secret. I probably would have waited a little bit on waitful, just mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, I would have let the board develop a little further. Cause to, to your point, there's a lot of really talented players on there, man. And I, I mean, I probably would have taken a little bit of it into the 2022 season, you know, their high school season to kind of continue to evaluate some of these players. So, yeah, I, th- I think that I think for part of the question, I probably would have waited just because I think the board's really talented, not necessarily because of the numbers as mm-hmm. much. But I, I again, I really I do push back just a little bit on the numbers because that yeah. thing it just change so quickly.
1: I think the other thing, Ryan, is I think sometimes you have to understand too, and Brendan, I think this is a very fair question. Absolutely. Ryan and I both asked it, but I think sometimes you have to understand that this staff doesn't view recruiting as just acquisition of the highest ranked best players possible from a physical talent standpoint. I've talked to several notre dame coaches over the, the last year less seven eight months especially and one of the big mantras from coach freeman has been you have to make sure that you're not just bringing in talented players but you got to bring in kids that serve that 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 fit this place and and any coach will tell you that knows how to develop rosters there's been kids that you you go back and look at alabama's years there's gonna be a couple kids a year You're like why they signed that kid because that kid may not be a star. He may just be a, a, a role player, but there's always a need for a guy that's going to bring the energy and the leadership that a Kurt Heinrich is going to bring. Now, if another Kurt Heinrich was coming along next year, say, I'm not taking that guy. You need better talent. That's a good argument to make, but understand what you're sacrificing by not taking that kid, mm-hmm. the leadership, that work ethic, the whole, yeah. if you don't bring it today, you're going to have to deal with me right not every great player has that right and so it it, it, it's called roster building and and it's important it's not like you know when we were playing you know college football and i cannot wait for to come back out i mean you're just trying to get all the the five stars right and when you're when your dynasty is really rolling that's pretty much all you land you know right positions they don't have any five stars that's not real life in real life hey, you know what? Maybe this kid isn't as good as such and such and such and such. But you know what I'm going to get from this kid? I'm going to get a kid that I know can play the nose. I know a kid that's going to give me everything he's got every single day he's here, that's going to be a leader, that's going to bring toughness. Mm-hmm. And he, he's a top 250 player. We're, we're not like right. we're talking about some guy that's like a, you know, some oh, some three-star kid who, who can't play, right? This is a kid that can play. But if I'm just talking about, recruiting rankings yeah i i get that i understand the whole uh you know did you really need to take him now but i think the reason they took him is there's nobody like him in the class that's going to provide some of the intangibles they're looking for doesn't mean that other kids aren't hard workers or good leaders it's just when you find that kind of kid that whether it's western pa kid jersey kid there's just certain regions in the country where it's like yeah you feel like if you're going to get a kid from there you know you're getting a worker you Know yeah, and I doubt. and I and I think that's that's kind of the thing, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of the kids at Notre Dame's landed from Jersey over the years from Quentin Nelson to Clarence Lewis. Right. I mean, when you talk to Notre Dame coaches about Clarence Lewis, for instance, nobody at work's that kid. You know, we, we'll have some questions about him later in the chat about his productivity, but nobody at work's that kid. And you hear that with almost every Jersey kid that Notre Dame has signed in the last 10 15 years, there's a you reason know, for that. you hear similar things from Western PA kids like Robert Haynes's and guys like that. You just Those are the workers. That's just because they come – the type of background they come from, the blue-collar nature of it, the coal mine family, you know, tree type of thing. That's just – you just get that kind of mentality.
3: Well, in any team sport, you need glue guys. You do. They're not necessarily going to be the best player on the team, but you need those guys that are going to just work, 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 and they're going to expect work out of other guys. Those those guys can be found on every single winning team, period. Mm -hmm. Whether it's baseball, football, soccer, doesn't matter – you need those kind of glue kids to hold it together, right? That It's one of the things that makes good teams great, in my opinion. Yes, mm-hmm. you need those superstars. You do. But you also need those glue guys. And maybe he becomes one of those glue guys.
2: They only make grinders in New Jersey, baby. That's
1: all I got to say. There it is. Never and been. he just went and ruined it. Never been. <laughs> <laughs> he ruined it. No plans.